Welcome to Bon Jovi Discussions. Today, I have my friend Lee from Yorkshire, uh, all the way from the UK. How, you, how are you doing? I'm good. Nice, nice sunny afternoon over here. Yeah, it's a uh, cold and rainy uh, Saturday over here. Oh. Mm-hmm. No, it does. Anyway, so we are going to talk about this gem today. Uh, very underrated album. Good album, obviously. 7800 Fahrenheit, which was the band's second album, released on March 27th, 1985. Um, it was produced by Lance Quinn and recorded from January to March of 85 uh, in Philadelphia, I believe, at the warehouse. Um, so, yeah, yeah so, th so this was produced by Lance Quinn. And uh, in different magazines, I have a few different magazines, um, and I've seen in interviews where John said that he didn't think that Lance Quinn was the right producer for this album because um, they the band didn't know where they were yet, what they were doing, and they were just kind of going through a lot in their personal lives and didn't know what they wanted on the album, what they wanted off, and so they just didn't think it was a good collaboration, which I thought that was kind of, you know, because in other interviews you know they, they speak highly of uh, Lance Coyne so what's your, what's your view on the album overall overall I, I really like it and I always have and it's one of the first albums I ever bought as a kid um probably appreciate it more now than I did like 20 odd years ago but definitely agree. It's, it's definitely underrated. Yes. And what's what, what I think the most unique thing about this album is, is that they were so, if you compare it to the debut album and to the Slippery album, which, you know, David the first and the Slippery is the third. If you compare both albums, this album was kind of just almost to that Bon Jovi sound, but it wasn't quite there yet, you know, to yeah. what we're accustomed to from Slippery on. They're almost finding their sound here. And uh, what I really like is uh, Richie's guitar work. I think Richie is just phenomenal uh, on this album. And he's more, I think this is the, the album that he's the loudest on guitar and very, uh, you hear more of Richie on this album than you do the other albums, if that makes sense. Obviously, you hear him a lot on the other albums, but this one, you know, he's very eccentric and very out there and loud and, you know, all these cool different guitar solos. And uh, John's vocals, too, are very powerful. And you can tell that they got a lot more. What's the word I'm looking for? The more JBJ sound compared to the first album. That makes sense. You know, very yeah, great. Vocals. So I, I it, think it's a good album. I like the album. No, people don't like it. I like it. Yeah. Well, the thing is, John hates it. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, well. I'll tell him. Tell him too. It's a good album. Exactly. But what yeah. is? I I think I appreciate it because it's it's a baby album. It's an album where they were experimenting with different, which we'll talk about, you know. And I think they're just trying to find their true sound. And uh, you know, there are some weird parts on this album, which we'll talk about. There's some songs on here that. You can't really make sense of what it's about, you know, what have you. But overall, it's, it's great. Um, 
album artwork. Let's talk about. So they named the album 7800 Fahrenheit because it's the temperature of melting rock. Yes. And uh, so, for some weird reason, they <laughs> they named it that. Yeah, I'd love to know whose idea that was. Yeah. Um, so but the the artwork was is kind of cool, you know. With you know, it's definitely an '80s album. You can definitely tell it's an '80s. I'll just by judging from the cover. Um, you know, I also like you know the band in the back. You know. Yeah. Oh, look at the big hair. Yeah, the big hair and the yeah. big pictures. You know, and the sleeve work too. You know, whether it's in the CD or the vinyl. You know, all these different little photos of them. You know. Like kind of like memory photos, but uh, so yeah, and uh, they obviously toured this album for a brief period. Uh, they were openers for Rat. I don't know if they were continuing with the Scorpions. I think the Scorpions was obviously the first tour, but I thought they did some shows for the Scorpions for the 7800, but I could be wrong on that. But they did definitely open up for Rat, and uh, you know, I wasn't born yet, but I wish I could have experienced that tour. You know, like just to see them open and just see how good they were, and you know, proving the world. You know, that would have been awesome. That would have been. What was it? Eighty-five. I was three. Yeah. I I would have been negative eight. Negative eight. Wow. Yeah. So well, let's start going uh, track by track here. Uh, The first one uh, is "In and Out of Love." which was the second single. I'm surprised it wasn't the first, uh, but it was the second single released in July 1985. Um, it was written just by John. And uh, what I re- this is the song I wish they would still do live. Even back in 2010 when they were talking about bringing some songs back for the, on the Circle Tour, I wish this was one of them and they never did. Uh, but I really love that intro, you know, and it's a perfect intro to the album, you know, in, in, you know, they're singing yeah. loud, and then all of a sudden it gets louder than the drums go. Uh, I, I love that. Yeah, so. it, top top track. It wouldn't have necessarily been out of place on Slipper, I don't think. I think it's, it's the, you can hear the, the sound, it's, it's a Bon Jovi song. Mm-hmm. Without and, you know, I think this could this should have been a bigger hit than what it was. You know, if you're a music critic and you look at this album, you may not like the rest of the album, but that you know, In and Out of Love is definitely standout. Yeah, and uh, and John's vocals and and the verses, you know, um, and the verses are, are are so freaking good. You know, just like confident and just goes with the flow of the song and uh, i i love his uh his scream in love when he sings love uh before the final chorus right after the solo yeah Going to the, i love that part um and then what else is funny um is the band talking with each other before the guitar solo yes yeah and it, then, it gives you an idea of how much fun they were having and they were close and it comes through in that yep exactly the only weird part of this song it it doesn't ruin it but in a weird way it makes it weird is at the end of the song when they Uh, totally know where you're going i know what you're gonna say yeah your daddy is (laughs) 
<laughs> Wait, just how old are you anyway? How old are you anyway? Do, do I have that right? Let me see. Yeah, how old are you anyway? Yeah, so <laughs> I mean, like in today's world, <laughs> that would yeah. not. Not, not good. And yeah. I think I've, I think I have read somewhere that John doesn't like that. He mm -hmm. obviously later on has picked up on on that being a little bit weird and a bit maybe not quite right, um, <laughs> and and sort of re kind of regrets putting that bit in there, which I can see why. Yeah. Um... I, I, I've heard him say that too. He's like, that's probably the stupidest thing he's ever put on an album. You know, like I said, like in today's standards, you, you cannot put that anywhere. You know, but, but it's weird because back in the 80s, that was kind of like a, I don't want to say a normal thing, but it was like not frowned upon if a 25 year old man was dating a 17 year old. You know, like look at Warren's song, or not yeah. Warren, Wingers, uh, 17. Yeah, like, it, it was much more not acceptable, but. Um, <laughs> It, it it happened. It it was, you know, girls would dress up a bit more to look mm. older to get into gigs and, yep. and run it. And it's like in the video for the track, they're hiding from all these girls out there running. And yeah, it, it sort of makes sense, but it does yeah. make me giggle every time. Every time I have a little giggle. Yeah. And obviously, none of them were, you know, pedophiles or anything like that. I'm not saying that. It's just it was weird to put in the song, though. And uh, I think, you know, of course, John should have never put it on there. And I know he regretted it. So, but like, other, I don't know what all the other band members thought or Lance Quinn. And I, I, I read some of that. I think it was Lance Quinn that pushed that part too in yeah. the, the song. You know, but back then, though, it wasn't that big of a deal. It wasn't. Which should have been, but it wasn't. But anyway, uh, so you mentioned the music video. And uh, I think that's one of the very first, because if you look at the music videos on the first two albums, the debut on 700 Fahrenheit, the videos make almost no sense. And I think In and Out of Love was like the very first one that, because the first video was Run Away, then She Don't Know Me, and then into 78. They get into only lonely, which that didn't make any sense. So those first three didn't make any sense. But In and Out of Love was like the very first one that made any sort of sense. You know, and it sh like you said a little bit ago, just a song that was about them having fun, and you know, and so that's what they're doing in the video. They're having fun on the boardwalk, running away from all these girls, and it's actually the first video you you kind of see the band on stage interacting with an audience and with each other. And uh, so, yeah, I, I liked it. Yeah, good for you. It was a good, definitely the first good video. Yeah, I think they were wise enough at this point. <laughs> at this point. Um, and so the whole meaning of the song, I think it's just about having fun in your youth, having fun as a band, and, you know, just having fun in general. That's why I yeah. think. Yeah, I don't think there's any deep, it's just a fun and I, no I, yeah, I think uh, no, no, no disrespect. I also think it could be taken in a sexual way too. You know, being with all these different girls and you know, in and out of love. Absolutely. Oh, so, what's Absolutely. your favorite? Do you have a favorite lyric of the song? Oh, uh, I don't. I don't think I do. 
I don't I can't think of any bit that stands out more okay. than I love the uh, verse verse young and wired set to explode in the heat you won't tire because baby you're born with the beat <laughs> I love, I don't know it just it's so catchy and I, I love that part yeah. So, it is. I love so let's get to the next track uh price of love which was actually a it was a fifth single but it was only released in japan i think at the end of 85 uh it was written just by john this is actually my pro it's probably my favorite song at least my favorite deep track on the album um i love that intro with the drums and the guitar um i thought that was pretty unique uh, what's what's your take on the song? Another another good. I enjoy it. I like it. It's it's not my favorite. Yeah, it was definitely a typical '80s song. You know, this whole, oh, this yeah, whole yeah. it screams '80s '80s. Yep. Yeah. Um, the I think this whole song is about um, you know it, it's. In a way, it's kind of hard to understand, but I think it's more in two different ways: uh, having an affair with someone and paying the price for it, or um, also that love isn't easy and it's one big game. And and uh, you know, like there's a line, you know, practicing his love lies, he runs to his wife, and you're left holding the knife. Obviously, that's about an affair, yeah. you know. Um, so, you know, like I said, this album kind of has a lot of songs that you don't really understand what the meaning is. Yeah, I, I think you're like, I don't know where they're going. And I, I think that's one thing John regrets about this album is that the songwriting was good, but it wasn't the greatest. Yeah, you know? they rushed, didn't they? What, six weeks rushed and wrote yep. it, did it and put it out. and Yeah. Because I, I think the, the goal of the game was just to get an album out there following its little bit of success of the debut. And I think they wanted to keep up with that. And I think they were just trying to create good songs because you could definitely tell the songs were there. They're so good. The lyrics, not quite as JBJ. I, we, we know how JBJ writes. Obviously, after slipping on all great songs. I don't think he, I think they just kind of rushed through this. But so, anyways, that's uh, maybe that's why I don't understand the song entirely. Yeah. But uh, my favorite lyric is, No one said there'd be nights like this. Risk your life for a stolen kiss. I thought that was pretty clever. Yes. Yeah. Yes, definitely. Um, let's go to the next one uh, Only Lonely, which was actually the first single released in April of 85. And like I said about In and Out of Love, I'm surprised that one wasn't the first one. Only Lonely was. Um, it, it, what I really like about this one, too, is that it was written by John and David Bryan. Yes, I do. I like David's inputs when he, he does a bit of songwriting. It, it always goes well. Absolutely. And uh, another great, and you know, this album is full of great intros, except for Tokyo Road, which we'll, we'll get to that. <laughs> But uh, I really love uh, the keys and the guitar. You know how it starts with the da da. Yeah, I, I can't do it. And then all of a sudden the guitar comes in, and uh, I really love that. And John's vocals also are uh, top notch. And uh, I'm surprised this wasn't a bigger hit than what it was because this is you know pretty good too. 
Yeah, in 2010, when they were bringing some of these songs back, I was really glad that they brought Only Lonely back on the set list, unfortunately, for only a short period of time. But uh, it was good. I, I don't know if you've heard the special edition of 7800 that came out in 2010. When they, there was a yeah. live track, it's like a sound, track, uh, sound check track. And it was from, I think it's from the 80s. And it, it's really good. I love it. Yeah, to go find that. Yeah, you do. I think you can find it on YouTube. Um, so we were talking about the music video earlier, kind of on this, how it, this song makes no, or the video makes no sense. You know, that you wonder who the guys were that were after the band, you know? Like, yeah. Like, what, what did they do for the these guys to be after them, you know? And then the broken heart with the girl, you know, like that intro to the video is like, What? Yeah, it just it made no sense. It, it, tie, it doesn't tie in with the song no, or the or anything. It just, like, no, it you doesn't. watch it with a completely different song playing. Yeah, I think after this video, I think, you know, this is just speculation, but I think after this video came, I think John was like, I'm going to have more control on these videos. Yeah, absolutely. God, yeah. Sure. Um, with the, second, the next one. So, with uh, this song, um, the whole meaning I think it's about is that it's, you know, obviously you're lonely, uh, afraid to let go of the past and, and moving forward. And But other than that, I can't determine what this the song is about. I don't think it was fully finished for you to understand what it's about. Yeah, that's also the beauty, beauty of music, too. Yeah, there's, there's, no, there's no great meaning no. to it. I think it's just uh, just another '80s song, and my I do love the and I love the drums too. That da 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 da. You know, I got this time bomb ticking in my head. This time, I think she's gonna blow. How can I say to get away when I just can't let go? And then you know, John screams in the go, and then goes into the uh, solo. I do like I do like a good John scream. Scream very well. Yeah, especially I mean, there's a lot of songs on this album where he does. You know. And, I gotta think, but on the debut, he didn't scream as much, but he really did in uh, this album, which I think I think they knew that how good it sounded, and they wanted to keep uh, uh, up with that. Uh, so the next one is King of the Mountain, and this is written by John and Richie. And this this is one of those songs too, where you listen to it, but it doesn't you don't. Like this is one of those songs I don't ever go to listen to, but if if I have my music on shuffle and it comes out, I'll listen to it. But uh, I do like the bass. I I love the bass in that intro, and then all of a sudden you hear the drums coming in, the dun dun dun, dun. and then uh, then obviously Richie comes in with that. And I that's a, I think that's the one thing I really love about the song is the guitar hook that Richie does on this song. The dun 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 dun, dun you know, yeah, I love that that part. Um, it's the only saving grace of that song. I, I generally tend to skip it when it comes up. I will, I do listen to it sometimes, but it's for me. Yeah, and, and I also love the background vocals of the band in the pre-chorus and the chorus. That's one thing that really shines on this album too, is the way the band had a lot more backing vocals, especially in choruses on this album. And this is one of those um, songs. Uh, 
As far as meaning goes, I think it's all about feeling like they were on top of the world after their first album. You know, connection. You know, in the first verse, you know, you kind of get that sense of connection between the fans and and the band. Um, and the chorus is all about being the best. And then in the second chorus, no one believing in you to achieve your dreams. But at night, you realize that you can because you're doing what you love to do. So I think it's definitely about the band feeling like they're on top of the world, you know, king of the mountain and uh, just going after their, their dreams. I think that's what it's about. Um, my favorite line of the song is you spend your life working nine to five is like doing time. Boss man says, Hey boy, you'll never be no good with the night. There's a magic in the air that makes us come alive. Tonight's the night. They can't put you down. No one could, you know, yeah. so I feel like that's not letting the people, Negative people is telling you, you no, you don't. You just don't care what they say. You you're gonna prove them wrong. So I really I pre I really appreciate the lyrics in this song more than the actual song itself. Yeah, maybe I need. I probably could do with listening better yeah. to that. Mhm. Is there anything you want to say about this track? No. <laughs> like I say, I generally skip it. I don't. I've never really got on with it. But in listening to your synopsis, I might go away and have a bit of a listen and listen properly to the lyrics. See yeah. how I feel. That, that why not? Give it yeah. a go. Yeah. Uh, next one is Silent Night, and this is the fourth single that was released on October twenty second, I believe, of nineteen eighty five. It was written by John. Obviously, this is probably the, one of their very first romantic ballads um, that they've ever done and released. Um, I love the key intro. And then all, all of a sudden the drums come in. The bum, bum, bum. I love that. Uh, what, 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 do you, what do you think of the song? I love it. Yeah, it's great. It's definitely one of. I know it's a lot of the fan favorites on this it, album. It's great, and this is one that definitely, sort of, twenty years ago when I was first listening, um, I probably skipped it, or wasn't that bothered. But then coming back a bit older, um, really, it's fantastic. Mm -hmm. And the vocals are just amazing. Oh, um, especially when he sings Don't Let Me Go and he's holding uh, that note and, and go. Oh, it's, that makes the song really good. Yeah, it, it's, it's fabulous. Yeah. Um, and Richie, I think this is one of my, is it when I was a kid and I was eight years old, I was discovering Bon Jovi. And uh, little by little, I got each album. And I remember getting 7800 down the road. And uh, I first listened to the, um Silent Night was my favorite song, and I would play it over and over and over and over uh, on on that album. Now my favorite song on this album is Price of Love, but um, I really do appreciate the song. Um, but I think uh, Richie's guitar solo is probably my favorite solo on this album. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I love it. Um, the music video, you know, um, this one kind of made sense. Uh, you know, just a trouble, and that's what the song is about. You know, a troubled couple, you know, ending a relationship, and they're going through essentially a last night together, and with not having nothing to say, but you know, kind of just having 
reflections on their past and what they could have done and, and all that. And so the video reflects that. I really like how they showed the band too on this brick wall. And uh, as a kid watching the music videos, um, cause I had that VHS, so I'd watch it over and over. Um, when the, when the couple goes to the wall and it's like an outlet, I think, and then all of a sudden it, it turned into a brick. And so I think that also symbolizes that they felt trapped with each other, you know? I don't know. I, that's just my speculation, but I always, you know, felt that. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I think the line, it's too late, held up in love without a gun, is uh, a really cool line in the song. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It, it just, it, it, it's another one where you can see where they're going. Yeah. You know, they're, they're almost there. They've almost got it. It's yeah. Well, songwriting, that, everything. That line alone, though, how it's too late held up in love without a gun. You know, it says so much because it's, you know, it's essentially, you know, when you let your guard down for someone and you love them unconditionally and you spend all your time with them, and all of a sudden you're brokenhearted at the end and you have no defense and nowhere to go. And, you know, I just, I love that line. You know, it's 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 all about vulnerability, and uh, that vulnerability being ruined uh, by heartbreak. So I really, that's why I really love that line. You know, it's one little line, but it says so much. So the next one is Tokyo Road, and it was written by John and Richie. The song is okay, but this has the weirdest intro. I know they're paying because they really broke out in Japan at first, and so I know they're they're paying tribute to to Japan and all that. But like that that whole intro was so weird, like it creeped me out as a kid when I listened to this album or that song, you know. And it's like, I growing up I always thought it was South. She was saying South Florida, South Florida, and then I think someone correct maybe it was I, someone corrected me on Twitter one day and I was like, no, 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 it's this. And let me see if it's actually on the. Uh, yeah, it doesn't even say it on the uh, um, lyric notes either. So it's all about interpreting. Thank God for Google now because I realize it's like, you know, what, I got to look it up now because I won't do it justice if I don't. But I, did you think, is it just me? Did you think the intro was weird too to that song? I love this song. Even the <laughs> intro? I, I, I have no idea why. Like you said, obviously, the Japan, a bit of a tribute, but it doesn't go with the song. It doesn't, I don't know why, but that it is, this is my favourite song on the album. Really? Okay. Tokyo Road, I would play it over and over and over, like you with Silent Night when you were a kid. It just, I love it. Absolutely love it. So that, um, so forgive me because I'm, I'm not Japanese. I'll, I'll probably pronounce this wrong. So it's Sakura, Sakura, Yeyoi no Sarawa, Mi Wats Asu Kagiri Ai. So, and then they do it again. Well, someone's going to message me on uh, online and say you you, you brutalize that but <laughs> so that's so that's what they're saying that intro but i always, when i was a kid i thought it, 
they were saying South Florida, South Florida. I'm like, what does South Florida have to do with Tokyo? And uh, <laughs> I, I, lesson learned. <laughs> yeah. it, it's, a, it's an old Japanese poem. Right. About cherry blossom. Oh. What cherry blossom has to do with I, anything? See, I, I didn't know that until right now. <laughs> so that's... Uh, um, it, I learned, somebody sent me it on Twitter. Might have been charming. Mm. Uh, anyway, yes, yeah, I remember talking about it with somebody and they sent and, and said, yeah, yeah, there's this poem, go find it. So I did, and, and there you go. Poem about cherry blossom, tradition, old Japanese traditional. Mm. Or at least that's what I found. If anybody out there knows different, I'm sure they will tell. <laughs> well, I, I learned something new today because I, I was wondering what that poem was about. But uh, anyway, so the song that has uh, great verses, I think it's a great song for the band coming together instrumentally. I think it's one of, probably one of the best ones on the album where the band comes together very well. Um, as far as the whole meaning goes, I think it's just their love for Tokyo and paying tribute to you know, their respects for, to making it big in Japan at first. Um, I think it's also, you know, like in the first verse, it, you know, it's about war, uh, then partying, and then you go to, I think, this is speculative, but before that guitar solo, I think they're talking about prostitution there. Absolutely. Uh, she was wearing nothing but a red light. Hey, you know. Yeah, let me. Uh, spells it out. Usually I know these lyrics by the back of my head. With nothing on but a red light and with a smile she got so close to me whispered something about midnight. You know, I didn't understand a word she said, but it felt so good. She knew that I didn't have any money, but baby, I knew she would. Yeah. So at first you think, okay, well, she knows that she doesn't, he doesn't have any money, but she still loves him for him. But then. Eh, I'm the, thinking she knows he didn't have any money, but she'd do but it I, anyway. I knew she would. Yeah. So, uh Yeah. Uh, you know these these songs are uh, this song isn't really a typical Bon Jovi lyric. No. And, you no. Know, especially that line snorting whiskey, drinking coke. Obviously, we know some. You know, we won't get into that. Um, but it was a time when no one would die, and there wasn't a care. You know, like makes you kind of wonder what they did back in the <laughs> first two albums. Um, I do like the line in a time in a in a in a place in a world they forgot lives the heart of me a part that just won't die. Yeah. It it just I don't even know why it's my favorite and why I love it so much. Um it's like you said the lyrics are not the good the songwriting's good but it's not amazing and it just the whole thing, just hearing it play, the whole thing when it comes together and the music and Richie's guitar is awesome. Um, it just makes me smile. I yeah. just love it. It's definitely a good song. Yeah, I, I think it would have been bigger if it were, would have been on Slipper. I think, in a way, I think Raise Your Hands was kind of similar to Tokyo Road in a way. Just yeah. the, instrumentally. Um, but Next one is Hardest Part is the Night, and you're going to love this one. It was the third single released on August 21st of 1985, only in the UK. 
Yes. To promote the album. And it was written by John Ritchie and David. Uh, I actually love this one. It's probably my third favorite on the album. I love that guitar intro that, you know, uh, and then you get the keys and you get John's vocals and the verses. You know, it's definitely a typical 80s song, you know, and it's kind of like that. Once you get into that first verse, you just hear the keys and then you hear uh, John singing. You know, it's, it has that, to me, it has that mystery uh, vibe to the song, you know. And Tico's drumming on the song, it's so good and it's so tight. I, just, I love it. Um, and one last thing too is the background vocals in the chorus. I love the the you know the, how the band comes together and you know the background. Yeah, you really do start to hear how the band come together and and sing, mm. and that sound that is so no you know you know it as soon as you hear it. it it's definitely mm-hmm. I, I love it. Hardest part. Yeah. I don't think I've ever actually noticed that it was written by David as well, so that would explain why I quite like that one. Yeah, I believe so. Yep, yeah, on the liner notes it says David Bryan as well. I thought so. Um, to me, the whole meaning of this song is, uh, well, I think, you know, in the beginning of the song, it's, you know, life on the street, you know, the ugly world at night. And then in the before the final chorus, I think it also refers to fame. So let me look here. There's a, yeah. So that's what, that's what I think the song is about. I think it's just about life on the street. Um, you know, more of a socially conscious song, I think, in a way. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah. It, it's probably, it's got more meaning. Or they've tried to put more meaning into it, definitely, than some of the others earlier on. Yeah. In the album. Um, and, and we know John likes to get in with this socially. Oh, you know, yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's definitely up there with one of the, the better songs on the album for me. Absolutely. And you can I really, see where I, they're trying to go with it. Mm-hmm. I, I like the line, in the heat of the street of the city, a young boy hides the pain and he walks so tall trying to hang on, but he knows he's going down again. I know he's going down. And then it goes, yeah. I, I, I love the way that John sings that. And I, you know, I, I think that our whole part just gives you what the song is about, yeah. you know, trying to make it in the world. And, and you know, it's hard to get by. Yeah, um, going to try anyway. Yep. Next one is Always Run to You, which is written by John and Richie. Um, another song I love the the drums too. Um, no disrespect, but I think this song is more of a sexual song, um, in a way. You know, always wanting the the woman that he knows the woman that he wants because she's she's got what he needs and all these other pe- all these other women don't. Um, but then I also have to contradict myself too, and I think it's also about she's got more to offer than just sex. She knows how important he is, and uh, you know it takes yeah, more it takes more so. than a night to satisfy him. You know, yeah, yeah. I think yeah. that that song is about. Yeah, definitely. 
Yeah, I mean, I, other than that, I don't know what this. That's one of those songs. Like, here. It's one of those. Is what are any of them about on this album? They're very, as you said. It, I think they, especially towards the end, oh, just scribble some words down, and you know, we'll make yeah. a song out. Not necessarily mean much. No, my favorite line is, she's got something I want, man, it's something I need. It takes more than a night to satisfy me. I just like the way that it's sung, but it's so stupid. I mean, I don't want to say it's stupid, but it's so, it's just, it's a corny song. It's so teenage boys writing in the garage. It's not. Exactly. It has no depth to it. No but, finesse to the songwriting. Nope. We'll go to the next one. Um, I don't want to, so. This one's weird because on some albums it, it has I don't want to in parentheses and to the fire. Then on some albums it just says to the fire. So if you ever pay to, if you ever see seven eight hundred in, in a store or something or on vinyl or CD, look at the back because sometimes it'll just say to the fire and not um, see on my vinyl it says to the fire, but on the earlier vinyls it said I don't want to in parentheses to the fire. Oh, I'll have to have a look at what mine says when I find it, because it's the I still have the original CD that I bought twenty mm-hmm. odd years ago. It's not a, a remastered. Oh, I'll have a look. The original. Um, so anyway, so this has uh, the that weird intro. I don't know if it's the keys or the drums to it, but it's so weird, and I just don't think it really fit into the the song. I feel like this song would have had more potential, but like you were mentioning earlier, I think this this album was just so rushed. And I think it was one of these songs that were just, let's get it done and boom. So I don't think it was ever fully finished or really thought of. You know, I think it was just recording it done with. Yeah. I think it's another socially conscious song too. You know, about not wanting to make the same mistakes as other people have in society. And then that innocence dies as we become members of society. So we're, we're brought up into this world thinking of innocence. But as we get into, as we become adults and into society, you know, we, as the song goes, fall into the fire. And our innocence goes and, and so forth. Makes sense? That's how, that's how I interpret the song. Yeah, I, I- Sounds good. I yeah. haven't really thought about it as much. I was not really thinking about this song very much. Um, no, yeah. I just I like it. It's it's all right. It's good. It's not poor. It just I don't listen to the. It's another one where I don't really listen yeah. to the lyrics. It's just there. Just sit there and yeah, it's cool. That's about it. The last one is Secret Dreams, and this was written by John Ritchie, David Bryan, and I believe a guy named Bill Grabowski. Let me make sure. Yep, Bill Grabowski. So this is the only song where they had one other songwriter come in. So obviously this whole album was a band effort with them writing songs, and I like that Tico wrote this, co-wrote this song. The only song that has Tico credited as a songwriter. Yep. Um, it's not one of my favorites either on this album. Uh, I think uh, I think they could have found another song to close out this album. This is I feel, I feel like this one was rushed as well. 
but I do love the fun in their vocals and their verse uh, verses. Um, you know that that part's fun. Um, I think this whole song is about that fantasy girl. You know, it's a sexual desire type song, and you know, like any other young man would write about. I think that's yeah, the it, goal of the song. And and so I suppose it's this, this is the first time I've ever sat and chatted with somebody about this album and all the songs, and it does kind of fit the whole album. A lot of the songs are very with the girls and maybe the sexual things and chasing girls, girls chasing them. It's it's quite a, a theme throughout the album, which I'd not really noticed. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, I, I, th- I think a lot of these songs are just what a normal young man thinks about, and you know, it's full of hormones. I yeah. mean, how old? Still twenty-four-ish. John would have been eighty-two, twenty-four. Yeah. Wait, twenty-one to twenty-three. You twenty-three, right in this, turn twenty. Yeah. Yeah. So full of hormones. Yeah, full of hormones and uh, success. Oh, on top of the world. Yeah, you know. So you know, overall, this album is good. It's just um, not the greatest album they've ever done. Obviously, you know, John's embarrassed by it. We'll ne- we'll probably never, ever, 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 ever see any of these songs live again, which is unfortunate yeah. because you know, like I said in 2010 when they were doing the Circle Tour, John was doing some of the songs for the Diehards. You know, and they brought out. I'm trying to think of songs from this album. They they brought out only lonely. I believe they brought out um, the price of love, if I'm not mistaken. Um, let's see here. Only lonely, obviously. Tokyo Road, they did, um, and that was it from this album. And then I think on the first album they did um, shot through the heart, and that was it. But but it didn't last long. Because, uh, you know, here in America, it's all about the hits, unfortunately. So yeah. they experimented that and got shot down pretty quick. But so, yeah, overall, it's a great album. Uh, just some songs that make no sense and and all that. But still a good album. Yeah. And, it, you know, it led to Slippery. So that's right. And that's, I think that's what the greatest thing about this. I think... This song was more of an experiment on different sounds and different styles of songs. And like you said, I think it, it led to Slippery and what their true sound was, and they found it. So, yeah, there's definitely moments in this um, where you can hear that sound start to, to come through. Yeah, absolutely. So, well, anyway, I want to thank you for coming on today and taking time out of your day to talk about this album. Um, I'll have you stay on as I end the recording, but I wanted to thank you on here for coming on to do this. It was a lot You're of fun. Very welcome. Great. I had a great time. Okay. Thanks. Thanks again, Lee.